The Perfect Stress Podcast does not provide medical or nutritional advice, nor is it a substitute for medical or nutritional advice, and is not intended for the prevention, cure, or mitigation of any medical condition or disease. This podcast provides information only. Please consult a physician or nutritionist for advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perfect Stress Podcast, where we walk that fine line between being productive and overdoing it and triggering stress-related symptoms. I'm Adam Darrow, your host and founder of MyStressAlarm.com. So I wanted to talk a little bit in this episode about the COVID vaccines. And I want to just say up front that I'm not trying to persuade you one way or or the other to get it. It's a personal decision. Uh, The information's out there, benefits and risks, so you can make up your own mind. But I did want to share my experience and my rationale for getting it. And bear with me because there is a point to this and how it ties into reactive stress management and chronic stress monitoring. Uh, But I just got vaccinated this week. I went to CVS and got the Johnson & Johnson one. Knock on wood, I haven't had any side effects whatsoever, none. Barely had a sore arm. I did drink a lot of water uh, all day. Uh, they, they tell you to drink a lot of water an hour before to help prevent side effects. So, probably helped. Now, when you go to get it, when you go to get the vaccine, they give you a fact sheet, and I'll put the link to, to that uh, in the show notes. Um, But it reads in part, and I quote, The Janssen COVID-19 vaccine may prevent you from getting COVID-19. There is no U.S. FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19. Later on, it repeats, The Janssen COVID-19 vaccine is an unapproved vaccine that may prevent COVID-19. There is no FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19. Later on, In response to the question of whether the Janssen vaccine has been used before, the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine is an unapproved vaccine in an ongoing clinical trial. 21,895 individuals 18 years of age and older have received the vaccine. So multiple times they go out of their way to repeat and repeat and repeat again that the vaccine is not approved, not FDA approved. So if it were just a trivial difference, nothing substantive between emergency use authorization and FDA approval, I don't think they'd go out of their way to make that distinction, do you? Multiple times, no less. So it does beg the question, what's the difference in terms of risk between the two processes? And just so you understand, and and I'll explain this in some detail, But the emergency use authorization process is actually a subset or or an abbreviated version of the FDA approval process. The the significance being that the FDA approval is not waiting to get started. I mean, it's happening in parallel uh, to the emergency use authorization process. Uh, And in fact, Pfizer has already started an application to to request full FDA approval. Now, a friend of mine shared a couple links that explain the differences between the two processes, and I'll put the links in the show notes. 
Uh, one has a nice side-by-side -side diagram, and the other is straight from the FDA. Now, uh, reading from the FDA website, first let me read where it explains the, the different phases of trials, because you need to know that in order to understand the difference between the two processes. And I quote, in phase one, the vaccine is given to a small number of generally healthy people to assess its safety at increasing dosage, doses and to gain early information about how well the vaccine works to induce an immune response in people. In the absence of safety concerns from phase one studies, phase two studies include more people uh, where various dosages are tested on hundreds of people with typically varying health statuses and from different demographic groups in randomized controlled studies. In phase three, the vaccine is generally administered to thousands of people in randomized controlled studies involving broad demographic groups and generates critical information on effectiveness and additional important safety data. This phase provides additional information about the immune response in people who receive the vaccine compared to those who receive a control, such as a placebo. So phase three, that sounds like a pretty important phase to me. Now, the part where they compare emergency use authorization to FDA approval, and I quote, an emergency use authorization request for a COVID-19 vaccine can be submitted to FDA based on a final analysis of the phase three clinical efficacy trial or an interim analysis of such trial. In other words, an analysis performed before the planned end of the trial once the data have met the pre-specified success criteria for the study's primary efficacy endpoint. From a safety perspective, FDA expects an emergency use authorization submission will include all safety data accumulated from phase one and phase two studies conducted uh, with the vaccine with an expectation that phase three data will include a median follow-up of at least two months, meaning that at least half of vaccine recipients in phase three clinical trials have at least two months of follow-up after completion of the full vaccination reg uh, regimen. In addition, FDA expects that an emergency use authorization request will include a phase three safety database of well over 3,000 vaccine recipients representing a high proportion of participants enrolled in the phase three study who have been followed for serious adverse events and adverse events of special interest for at least one month after completion of the full vaccine, uh, vaccination regimen. So after reading this, I have a better understanding that phase one and phase two trials are complete under both processes. And then in phase three, the emergency use authorization process only requires what they call an interim analysis, whereas the FDA approval process requires the whole study be completed first. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. Uh, you may interpret it differently. The part that I'm still unclear on, and the reason I went through all this, is how important is that last half or so of the phase three study? Now, it could be, and I'm just speculating here because I haven't seen the answer to this, but it could be that it's, it's almost a formality, meaning if you haven't detected any safety concerns by, by midpoint, 
Historically speaking, they almost never find any safety concerns after that. Again, I'm just speculating. But then again, if that were true, then the same question. Why would they go out of their way to make the distinction three or four separate times in a three-page fact sheet? So to me, that's the core question and the elephant in the room that no one seems to be addressing. And I think if they were more transparent about the differences in risk between the two processes and how important that last half of that phase three study is historically, then maybe people would be less uh, resistant to getting the vaccine. But that's just my opinion. Now, having said that, I wanted to share with you my thought process and why I decided ultimately to get the vaccine. What emergency use means to me personally is that, number one, there is a greater risk to taking this vaccine over other vaccines that have been FDA approved, not just emergency use authorization. It may be negligible in terms of how much higher the risk is, or maybe it's not negligible. I don't know. But I know the risk is higher because otherwise they wouldn't require the phase three trials to go any further than that midpoint. But what emergency use authorization also suggests to me is that you still have much better odds getting the vaccine and not having serious issues than getting COVID, the actual disease, and not having serious issues. And so for that reason, I got the vaccine. And I'm sure it also depends on age, but I felt it was better for me personally to get it than not to. But that's just me. And by the way, when all is said and done, these could end up being the safest vaccines ever produced for all we know. I hope they are. It's just that we don't know yet until all the testing's been done. And the FDA will not approve any vaccine until phase three trials are done. No exceptions. And I think that's a good thing. So the way this all ties into chronic stress monitoring and reactive stress management is the whole idea of taking calculated risks with your health. In the case of vaccines, you have to weigh the safety of the vaccine versus the danger that the virus poses. In the case of chronic stress monitoring, you have to weigh the importance of what you're working on and how difficult it is to put down and pick up again later versus how likely you are to trigger stress-related health issues as you approach your threshold number. Or in the case where you're contemplating skipping an event, how important is attending that event versus how likely you are to trigger stress-related health issues uh, as you approach your threshold number. So it's not always just one health option versus another health, another health option. But in certain circumstances, it's other things that we prioritize over our health, which sounds weird, I know. Counterintuitive, uh, self-destructive even, that you would prioritize other things over your health. But that's just what you're doing by taking calculated risks. Every time you step into a car, you're taking a calculated risk with your health. Every time you cook in the kitchen, you're taking a calculated risk with your health. You can get burned. You can cut yourself. Every time you work out at the gym, something you do specifically for your health, you're taking a calculated risk with your health. There's a reason gyms make you sign a waiver. So I just thought that it was an excellent opportunity to bring up this point again with the COVID vaccines. Um, I know that there are still outbreaks happening. Um, I've heard India is going through hell right now. So it's a sensitive subject, uh, I totally understand, because the more people who get vaccinated, the sooner we can slow the spread and save lives. 
but we have to balance that with the safety of the vaccine itself. But I do think that despite the uh, surges that we're seeing around the world, uh, especially in India, but other places as well, that there is definitely optimism that we're through the worst of it. You know, can't say for sure, but hopefully we've turned the corner. Um, and as more people do get vaccinated, uh, you know, we won't have any more of these surges in cases. Well, that's it for this week. I, I want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you feel I'm providing value to you each week. I really value your feedback. Uh, so please don't be shy. You can post a comment on the Perfect Stress Facebook page or always feel free to email me directly at adam at perfectstresscoaching.com. Well, uh, again, that's it for this week. Stay safe and wishing you good health and success. If you have an autoimmune disorder, heartburn, tension headaches, irritable bowel syndrome, high blood pressure, depression, or something else you think is stress-related, please try MyStressAlarm.com today. It's free for a limited time. There's no wearables or sensors needed, and it takes just one minute a day if you're slow. That's MyStressAlarm.com. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. And if you'd like to get new episodes automatically, just click subscribe. Also, I'd be much obliged if you left a review or comment. Well, until next time, wishing you good health and success. And remember, stress less to be your best.